Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. Welcome to another episode of Bring Design Closer. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a service design trainer and practitioner based in Dublin City, Ireland. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Bring Design Closer, this podcast is focused on uncovering insights from thought leaders around the world and learnings about bringing design into organisations with a view to helping both practitioners and organisations to become more design-led. In this episode, I caught up with Jonathan Coleman, a senior design manager at Intercom here in Ireland. John has had a distinguished career and has led teams of content strategists and organisations such as Facebook, but also served, interestingly, as a Peace Corps volunteer in Burkina Fast in West Africa. In this episode, we discuss what it takes to build a stellar design team and what he has learned over the years as being important ingredients that led to that success. I'm starting to enjoy recording outdoors, so in this episode, you might hear birds tweeting in the background as I recorded it in the outdoors in the sunny day in Stevens Green in Dublin, close by the Intercom HQ. Let's get into this episode. Jonathan Coleman, a very warm welcome to Bring a Design Closer. Thanks so much for having me, Jerry. Excited to be here. John is working at Intercom, but tell us a little bit more about uh, what you do and how you maybe how you describe what you do to people you don't know. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So uh, I manage the uh, global content design team here at Intercom, uh, located actually quite conveniently just on the north side of St. Stephen's Green. So uh, we just walked here from there. And uh, content design. You know, I was just listening to a different podcast with the folks from Mule, so uh, oh, yeah. Mike and Erica, uh, with Christina Halverson. Mm. Um, it's a 10-year anniversary of her book on uh, content strategy, actually. And uh, they described content as being the stuff that you came here for, which I really mm. like. Yeah. Because it's really easy to reduce content to, oh, you know, it's the words or... It's the interaction you know, stuff that you do on the it's website. things like that. It's really the entire thing. It's the, it's the service. It's the task. Yeah. So what did you come here for? And that really is basically how you're going to define content. And so content design is um, how we consider that, put together the strategy, craft the system, build the structure. And mm. yes, in fact, write some of the words. Yeah. So the words are kind of like not central to it. It's more like the, the user experience is central to the content design. Yeah. Just like if you're uh, designing a, a product service, um, you know, you might have some button or, or some affordance up at the surface, but uh, you wouldn't call that the design, right? Yeah, very good. Exactly the same thing. The words are important. They're how people interact with you, yes, but uh, it's 1% of the work. Yeah, very good. So tell us how long you've been in Ireland and um, how big the team is at Intercom at the moment. I've been uh, here in Ireland since uh, last December, so I'm not good at maths. Yeah, yeah. That's what you call it here, maths. Maths, yeah. Maths, plural. Not math. Yeah, not math. That would be like not <laughs> yeah. even. Um, You'd be kicked out of a pub for saying math. Uh, not to mention school. Yeah. Yeah, so I've been, in, I've been here since last December. The content design team at Intercom uh, is three people strong right now, including yeah. myself. We're hiring a senior content designer here in Dublin as well. Nice, you're getting a free job out into the podcast yeah, exactly. as well. Nice, they're going to love you That's what you got me here for. Absolutely. Well, maybe not. We're actually really keen to talk about today <laughs> about building a world-class content design team. Let's do it. So it kind of fits well into your, your recruitment uh, drive at the moment. 
But um, what separates a world-class content team from, say, a world-class anything? I'd say probably not much. Uh, it's just that, you know, there's this really terrible... Uh, who said the thing about A players and B players and C? Is that Steve Jobs? Is that a Steve Jobs quote? Could have been. We'll go okay. with that. Well, you know what? I hate that quote. Yeah. <laughs> a players hire A players, B players hire C, whatever it is, something like that. Um, it's a terrible quote. And I think too many people use that quote to talk about how they build a world-class team. Mm -hmm. Here's how I think about it, um, which is a little bit different. We all know the problems mm -hmm. with content design, which is essentially that most companies hire content designers or content strategists, as they're often called in the U.S., and then they put them in a box. And the box is the words box. So they hire someone with all these design skills, information architecture skills, interaction design skills, potentially research skills, and more. And they say, hey, it's great that you can do all those things, but we really just want you to write the words. Mm -hmm. And so the people they hire end up sort of being shackled. I'm holding my hands together here yeah. like they're tied together. And uh, they have all these skills, they have all these tools in their tool belts, toolboxes, and they can't use them. Mm. And the thing is, the company needs those tools. Yeah. They just don't know that they need them. And so here's what we think. Content designers should be unshackled. Take off the ropes and put them to work doing everything that they can do. Yeah. So the first uh, thing that we did at Intercom, we started doing this in uh, February, is... Uh, we used to have content designers spread across three teams, five teams, six teams, more than that. Right. And so they were only able to do what uh, my friend uh, Amy Thibodeau at Shopify calls dusting the content. So mm. They're dusting the content on the surface. Fix this up there, fix that up there. People don't understand the, what that means. Yeah. So change it's, the structure. It, it's just, uh, yeah, let's change this word for that word. Let's fix the capitalization of that. Maybe there is some deeper concept, like mm. let's do an audit of how we use this word throughout our product system and try to fix that up. But they would never get to work through the entire stack of the product mm. um, because they were just spread too thin. Yeah. Um, and that's the problem. So the first thing we did was we said, okay, content designers from now on are going to work exactly the same way product designers do, which is one person, one team. Right. So just one product at a time. Yeah. No more being stretched across you know, a dozen products. So that was one really big change. And how has that affected um, the product in itself? Well, what kind of uplift have you seen? So that's the thing. When you are working on one thing at a time, yeah. you can work very deeply in that space. You get to understand the problem area. You get to understand the ecosystem, the product. You get to understand the system that it's built on. And mm. you can be active in all those things. You can start to influence product direction, product strategy. Instead of just writing the words or fixing up some concept here and there, you are actually building a product and more than that you're earning the trust and the relationship with the team so you're attending all team rituals all your yeah. stand-ups your retrospectives your roadmaps your planning all of that which the content designers just simply couldn't do before absolutely you're the owner exactly you've taken ownership for the product that's yeah. really the thing and it's exactly the kinds of things we expect of product designers and now content designers can mm. do the same thing and then here's the final change content designers and product designers work in the same way, yeah. doing the same things, using the same materials, the same approaches, same process, all of that, then shouldn't we therefore hold them accountable for the same things? Hmm. And so that's what we've done. So we have updated uh, our expectations, what we sometimes call job levels, for both product designers and content designers so that they are now both held accountable for the same things. We have 18 expectations, and for both product designers and content designers, 15 of them are the same. 
two of them have slight differences, and then there's one that only content designers are yeah. held accountable for. And so because they work in the same ways, they are held accountable for the same things, we also pay them the same, yeah. um, which is relatively which is uncommon. And so that's, I think, how you build a world-class team. Okay. And we're going to be finished really quickly, so only joking. <laughs> no, but what I'm really keen to understand is I know there's people out there listening who are product designers or, or are user experience designers. Yeah. And they kind of go, well, if they're doing the same thing, why do we need both? Yeah, there's that. I think the materials of design are the slight difference. So your content designer is always going to be more just natively focused on your information so architecture. the perspectives. Yeah, the material will be different. So, you know, they are keenly focused on information architecture, keenly focused on language. Mm. So using words as a design material. But, you know, they're not going to be as strong in some of the areas of interaction design. Mm. They're not going to be uh, potentially uh, masters of things like Sketch or Figma. Although, you know, our content designers are actually really strong in that area. And it's becoming more of a thing. Absolutely. So l- looking at content design, I know we've had a few content design people on before, like Sarah Richards and Rachel Mullins down in Melbourne, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a great person. And what I'm really keen to understand is how do you see the content design discipline evolving over the next five years, say? Well, one thing is, when we just covered this, content designers are becoming um, quite canny with design tools. They're content mm-hmm. designers um, who are just brilliant. Uh, you know, your Figma, your Sketch, your XD, they can prototype their own work. More than that, they can code their own work. Yeah. Um, there's quite a few content designers who've switched into what I sometimes think of as content engineering, mm. um, who are, you know, building their own content in the system, which is great. Yeah. Um, so one thing we see is this diversification of skills. I think that's going to yeah. continue. The other thing is I think content designers as an industry sometimes tack a little bit closer to design than Mm. they do to product. And I actually think that's a mistake. Mm. I think both content designers and product designers, other kinds of designers, should actually tack toward product. So when we have this conversation about like, oh, I got to get a a seat at the table or I need to uh, influence the business, things like that. The way to do that is not to uh, go on and on about design quality or best practices, things like that. The way to do that is to focus on business outcomes, product impact. The more that you can speak that language, build alliances, uh, relationships with product, the better off you will do. You'll organically find yourself at that table as opposed to pushing for it. Absolutely. So looking at content design, just going back to that point about content design in five years. Yeah. Do you think the role of content design and the emergence of content design, do you think the dissonance around the term user experience around the world has led to the proliferation of content design becoming a thing? Maybe. Uh, it's hard to say. You know, it's here we are in 2019. We still can't define user experience. You, you know. Exactly. So we're still arguing. We're still def- trying to define the damn thing. DTDT. DT. That's one thing. But like you look at the explosion of roles and like... There's more jobs now for content design, content strategy, UX writing uh, mm. than ever before. And there's so much crossover between these roles. Sometimes the same organization will be hiring for both a content designer and a UX writer. And I have no idea what that means. Yeah. Same thing is like you'll see an organization hiring for, say, like a UX designer and a product designer. And I'm also not sure what that means. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, there is something about the definitions yeah. that just like we haven't quite gotten to. 
but I also think there's something about um, you know first movers yeah. and uh, people understanding they have some kind of need and associating it with this term. Yeah, and it's also the, the use of labels yeah. in titles yeah. and doing the thing. And it's I'm keen to understand. I guess you're going back to building a world class content design team. What does a world class content designer look like, and what are the labels that you'd put on them, if any? Well, yeah, I think the if any point is really strong. So, um, you know, there's been this movement over the past uh, year to, uh, what do we say? We say focus on outcomes, not on outputs. Mm. And I think that within content strategy, content design, there's this sort of big movement uh, around um, getting to that point of outcomes. But I think historically we've been focused on things like, oh, we've got to do this audit, got to do this inventory, we've got to build this uh, term library, we've got to build this controlled vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you probably do have to do those things, but they're not really the things uh, to focus on within your business. If you want to build alignment around these areas or get this work done, the thing to focus on is the outcomes. What can you do with those things you build? Yeah. Right. And I think a world-class content design team is keenly focused on those outcomes. Yeah. How does this work that we think we need to do relate to the business goal? Yeah. How does it have an impact on the customer experience, the user experience? You know, what are we going to get out of this? Why should we invest in this thing? Yeah. So what was it that led Intercom to arriving at, we need to get content design as part of our team? What are the problems it's solving? Yeah, so as a company, uh, you know, our mission is to make internet business personal. Really hard to do that without focusing on the quality of conversations people have, mm. um, the quality of the content within the product. And, uh, you know, most enterprise business products, ours included, are pretty complex. They do a lot of stuff. Mm. And so our task and our goal is to make that as easy, frictionless, seamless as possible. Content plays a big role in that. If you took a look at any given interface in our product or most enterprise products, you know, once you take away the colors, the logos, the, the lines, any of the shading, the interface. Tints, things like that, <laughs> you're left with words. And yeah. I bet those words take up like 80% of your screen. Yeah. Possibly more than that. Yeah. So they need to be good. Remember, it's it's what people come there for. Yeah. They don't come there for the lines. They don't even come there for the words. They come there for the combination that those things provide. Because yeah. that's that's where the value is. It's in the service. So you have to make it good. I really like that. Now, we were chatting earlier about you know building a world-class content design team or building a world-class anything. When you add a new member to the team, it adds an extra dynamic. So what I'm really keen to understand is how do you manage for those dynamics when they're being added to your team? Because it will affect your culture and it will change how you work and it'll change how you behave on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. I'd say those changes are a good thing. Company culture has to evolve. If you have the same culture in year 10 as you did in year one, something has probably gone wrong. I think that there are foundations to culture that you can build in and you can even hire for. So at Intercom, mm-hmm. one of the things I really love about us is that we have kindness as a cultural value. And I've worked many other places where that is not the case. And yeah. I didn't realize how much I needed it until I had it. So what does that mean in terms of a day-to-day? Well, I think it would be easy to jump to something like, oh, we never argue. We argue all the time. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that you don't argue. It's that you trust one another and nothing is hurtful. How do you do that? Though? How do you enable a culture where people trust? Because if, say, you know, the leaders of, of Intercom were like, yeah, okay, we want everyone to start trusting each other. That's not going to happen. No, 
you build this from the bottom up. So it, it was already a cultural value when they formed the company because they all believed in that. All the founders really believed that this was important. And then what you do is as you build out your company, your team, you keep on hiring for this to the point where like, We've published uh, internally, I don't know what to call it, besides sort of like a golden book. It's like a children's golden book. You know, those kind of storybooks that you might give your kids? We've published our cultural values in this, what I think of as a children's book. Um, And uh, there are 11 of them, and it goes, it has all these pretty illustrations and details. But when I was interviewing with Intercom, I knew about the book because they posted about it. And they Mm. talked about it openly. And even in uh, my presentation to the design team, I talked about these values and I showed how I had practiced them previously. Okay. I tried to show how I was predisposed to already believe in these values. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. You have to hire for this. You can't expect to change people or transform people. You, you need to find people who are already predisposed to believe the things you believe and support them. Yeah. So they're already displaying those traits. Absolutely. Those personality traits and professional and behavioral traits. Yep. And that's why we don't do things like, I don't, know if you have a, a bleeper on this podcast but we no. don't we don't tolerate assholes we we do not yeah. believe in the talented asshole theory of uh of team building where i'm with you on that i've commonly referred to the asshole syndrome yeah. on the podcast yeah <laughs> itunes will little red flags will be going up around the offices when we publish this one <laughs> summer over and this is h city they said the a oh. word um so just looking at when you're hiring for people well, what are the common pitfalls to avoid how do you avoid a- hiring an asshole well, for one thing, you have to ask questions that um, try to get at what are people's past behaviors? How do they respond to things like conflict mm-hmm. or how do they connect with people? If you find that people uh, don't generally turn to one-on-one conversations or they withhold feedback or uh, they're unable to provide hard feedback to people, have those hard conversations, probably not going to be a great match. Um, And that's probably true of most organizations. I think that past behaviors are indicative of what people will do in the future, but that's one of the ways we talk about that. So building a great design team, I know you're going to say, it's a difficult thing to do, but imagine when you do hire your dream team and you're like the Chicago Bulls in the 90s and you're sitting around. (laughs) As a child of the 90s, I appreciate that. I love that. Absolutely. I did my research. (laughs) But talk to me how you maintain it and like what do the rituals look like in a company like Intercom to maintain a great design culture? What does that look like? This is a great place for the value of design ops. Talk to me about design ops because not everyone knows what design ops is. Right. No, right. Um, Design ops is like the operationalization of uh, really the the growth and care and feeding of your design team. Everything you need to do for your team to be successful Mm. from onboarding, professional development, how you grow your community outside of your company, um, coming up with things like we talked earlier about uh, expectations and levels. You know, if you have a manager or director in a room all by themselves trying to do everything, they're they're not going to get like the real work done. This is something that you have to distribute and operationalize, get the entire team involved in because they have a really big stake in it. You do design ops work well and everyone's lives get better. All those things that cause friction or pain points or slow teams down or just super frustrating, yeah. you solve them by incentivizing design ops work. So what does that look like on a ritual? Say like on a, 
on a day-to-day basis. Give me an example of what that means. Yeah, sure. So um, one of the things we're big believers at in Intercom is this idea of goals and goal setting. So we set six-week goals, and we use that to try to make sure that, you know, hey, there's this whole universe of things we could be doing, but at the end of the next six weeks, here's the things we must get done. Yeah. We make really strong commitments to that. And then each week, we sort of set a series of sub-goals that relate back up to those six-week goals. Mm. Like a good example is when we were putting together these um, levels and expectations, you know, I had the six-week project to do that, right? And You did that on your own? Uh, well, here's the thing. I set the goal. I was sort of accountable for making this happen. But I then went and set weekly goals around things like, okay, I need to talk to all the uh, the product designers. I need to talk to all the content designers. I need to talk to the design managers. Yeah. Like I set up the series of interviews, got their feedback, understood pain points, and then eventually, you know, set goals around, okay, now I need yeah. to clarify this in the level stock. Now I need to get rid of that because no one's using it. Like we, we simply don't consider that. And then I need to draft the okay. stock. Then I need to get a review and so on. So you design a new process using the design methods, basically. Yeah. So, um, so this is the kind of thing any team can Absolutely. do. You don't need any special skills. You just have to decide as a team to incentivize this kind of work. Yeah. And then you'll actually see it get done. Yeah. Excellent. That's a really, really good answer. John, we're coming towards the end of the episode. I want to thank you for your time today. If anyone wants to reach out to you about any of those roles, yeah, please. and also maybe if they just want to hit you up on Twitter, um, how might they do that? What's your what's your yeah? Handle? I am uh, at J Coleman at Twitter, J C O L M A N. Great! I'll throw a link to that in the show notes, and I'll also throw a link to uh, anything else that you want intercom wide uh, in the show notes as well. John, great chatting with you. Yeah, thanks so much again, Jerry. So there you have it. Thanks for listening to Bringing Design Closer. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the This Is Hate CD network, feel free to visit thisishcd.com, where you can also sign up to our newsletter or join our Slack channel where you can connect with other human-centered design practitioners around the world. Thanks for listening and see you next time.